<clears throat> what is interesting about the topic I'm going to speak about today, which is the ins and outs of employee obligation and hiring and firing and quitting and so on and so forth, is that these shilas in particular don't usually make it to a base them, which is a little part of the problem and why it's so important to speak about it. Number one, if you think about it, let's say an employee has a problem with something his boss did, has a disagreement, he feels he's being cheated, he feels he's being treated unfairly. If he'll take his boss to base him, now how do you think that's going to go for him down the line, right? <laughs> that's not very good for job security. He may win the Dintaira. Like they say, you'll win the battle, but you'll lose the war. So that doesn't mean he's Michael, that doesn't mean he's okay with it, but there's not much he can do about it. Another thing which also happens is that, you know, as we'll talk about, an employee doesn't always mean someone that's hired and has a day job and gets a salary. An employee is anytime you contract someone to do something for you, and that includes if you're a patient and the person's a doctor, you're essentially hiring the doctor, a lawyer, etc. And when there is a disagreement, so then there's also other things at stake. There's the person's reputation. He doesn't want you talking about him, you know, how unfair he was or how tough he is to deal with. And especially in today's days and age where it's so easy to spread news about a person on Yelp or on Google or on social media, you can totally demolish a person's reputation. Again, he's not Michael but he's certainly not going to bring you to it entire, and it's not worth it even making a deal about it. And often it doesn't pay. The amount of money involved isn't that much, necessarily. And also what's interesting, I've been noticing this more and more as people ask Shilas, is that whoever is involved, whether it's the employee or the employer, often they want to do what they want to do without having to talk to the other party. Let's say an employee wants to quit. He doesn't want to have to deal with his boss. So he calls with a, a rub and he says, can I just quit? That's nice if he calls the rub, right? But he, if he, <laughs> uh, that, that's the kind of question. It's like he doesn't want to have to deal with the other person. He doesn't want to have to face him. He doesn't want to have to go through all that all comfortable awkwardness and he just wants to disappear. Um, and the, the boss, same situation, may want to do the same thing. He just wants to fire him and goodbye. A person wants to open up a, campaign, a competing business. He just wants to do it. So there's also a lot of that and all of these things stem from a simple lack of knowledge and awareness of what your obligation is when you're an employee, what's your obligation when you hire someone? What's your obligation when you commit to doing something? What does it require you to do? What does it require you to pay? What does it require you as far as damages are concerned? And that's what we're going to try to accomplish today, is to bring that awareness so that A, we'll be a, a know at least what we're getting ourselves into, how to truly do it correctly so that we protect ourselves and we do it the right way, and what the ramifications are, so you can know what to ask a child about and just simply to ask a child. <clears throat> so the, the relevance of this topic, as we mentioned, is, is extraordinarily relevant and it's relevant to everybody. And it's actually one of the areas of Chayshim Mishpat that starts being relevant when you turn Bar Mitzvah or Bas Mitzvah, really even younger than that, but it, it becomes relevant immediately. These halachas of hiring and firing, simply, a girl takes a babysitting job. 
and then you cancel on her, or she cancels, and that causes damage. She gave up another job, or you can't go to a chasana because of that. Those are halachas. That's chayshem mishpat. It's a simon shin lamid gimel chayshem mishpat. A whole simon about it. You can't necessarily do that, or you could, but you have to make up for it, or, or you have to pay, etc. So from the earliest age, it becomes relevant. It's also relevant to every single person, often on a weekly basis, because anybody you contract to do something for you is your employee. You get a plumber to come to your house. You're employing him. You go to a doctor, you're employing the doctor. So some, every person is and has been an employer and also has been employed in one way or another. And it's very, very relevant to what are the halachas. If you cancel a doctor's appointment, very often doctors have rules about that within 24 hours, etc. They may not. It doesn't change the halacha. They can't necessarily pursue you because of it, but there, is, there are halachas about that. And another thing that people aren't so aware of is that an employee in halacha doesn't mean you're getting paid. If you volunteer, but you volunteer for something that's a job, and if you quit and you decide, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore, you'll leave the person high and dry. That is subject to the same halachas just as if you would be getting paid. You are an employee at this point, you're working for free, and I see you. But you're subject, you said you're going to do it, and you started doing it, you now are sub- have to do it. And it'll, it'll be subject to these halachas that we'll talk about. <clears throat> so, let's begin with a couple of shilas, just to give you an idea of what we're going to be talking about. A couple of shilas these came up, shilas they dealt with. One shila was that a, a woman was working as a nurse in a practice and her employer asked her are you going to stay next year and she said yeah I plan on staying next year great so I didn't fill her position and then not long after that maybe a month she was offered a much much better job and it wasn't just better pay it was better from every angle it was better hours it was better benefits it was later gave her more time with her children it had but she had already told her employer that I'm going to work for you next year. Didn't sign anything, no contract. She's been on the contract anyway, whatever contract she has. Uh, would probably renew automatically. So she just said, yeah, I'm going to stay. So she called me and she wanted to know, am I obligated to stay? Needless to say, the answer she was expecting was, no, you're not obligated. That wasn't the answer I gave her. <laughs> she wasn't very happy. But it was, it's not so simple. That was question number one. Another question, and it's interesting, this question actually got me started in this sugya. It really got me started in Chayshu Mishpat, to, to be truthful. Uh, there was someone in my kahila who was a photographer. She was a photographer, and she, she took a, a, a job from a friend, um, who subsequently was not their friend anymore, <laughs> by the end of the story. But the, the job, they made up a certain, they, he was taking, he needed pictures for his LinkedIn profile and for other things. So they had a price, a sitting fee, and then a price for the finished product, which he would edit and all that. So she took the pictures and he paid in advance, or maybe he paid half in advance, he paid. And then when she sent him the pictures, he said, I don't like the quality of the pictures. I don't want to pay for them, I want you to give me my money back. 
And she said, that's not how this works. <laughs> I, I did it. I did the work already. I took the pictures and I, I, I edited them. I did everything. You, you can't not pay for them. They're, they're industry standard just because you don't like them. And he said, look, you want me to buy them? I don't want to buy them. You can't force me to buy something I don't want. So she came to me with this question. And I started looking into it and surprisingly, you'd think this would be something discussed in contemporary Paiskim, earlier Paiskim, and there was a dearth of information about it. That's what started getting me into this Indian. And another, another question also right when I started learning the Indian was my, the playgroup, Mora, where I sent my own children, she had had a dismissal time on Fridays at 2 o'clock. It's very late in Silver Spring. Even in the winter, they do 2 o'clock dismissal. Uh, might be a reason to move to Silver Spring. <laughs> but uh, they, um, she then, a year later, decided, that's crazy, I'm not dismissing my kid. I have to you know, make Shabbos. So she wanted to switch it to 1 o'clock, but she had neglected to say that when she sent out the original application and form. And the application and form that she sent out said 2 o'clock Friday dismissal. So she wanted to know now, it was because they just changed the clock, oh, can I tell everybody now that it's going to be you know, 1 o'clock dismissal? Now, technically, she has everybody over the barrel, right? So she could say, okay, you know, you don't like it, go find a different playgroup. There aren't any other playgroups that have any spaces in the middle of the year. So now what? So these are a number of the questions that we're going to discuss, and we'll try to get an idea. And if you realize, you think about these questions, you realize that these are things that are really relevant in every line of business, in every, any, every situation of employment. So I'm going to give you three questions that you always have to ask yourself these que three questions. And after this whole share, when I leave, this is what you need to remember that whenever you have a question in employment law, ask yourself these three questions and then you'll know how to proceed. Question number one, what was the level of commitment in this employment deal? Did you just say something, diburim? Did you just promise that you're gonna work or you're going to take a job or that you're going to hire someone? Is that the level of commitment we're talking about? Diburim? Was there a Kenyan? We'll discuss soon what are the different kinds of Kenyanim. There's some unique Kenyanim when it comes to Skiris Pailam, hiring people. So was, but which level are we at? What happened? Was there a contract? Did money change hands? Or did you just do talk? That's the first question. Always have to address that question first. Number two. What is the nature of the employment that we're talking about? And halakhically speaking, there are three categories which don't have the greatest translation in English. So in Lashon Kaidish, it's a skhir a kablin, and an uman. But in English, it would be a skhir is a regular salaried worker, a day worker, I guess you could call him. Someone's on a salary. They get paid per hour, per day, per week, per month. But it's an hourly kind of job. You have to be there at certain times. It's not predicated on finishing any particular job. It's an hour. You get paid by the, per hour. And the second kind of job is, is a kablin. A kablin is what you would call a plumber, electrician, a mechanic, doctor, essentially. You're not paying really for time, you're paying for work, right? So it doesn't really make a difference how much time it takes, even though they may choose to pay you, to, I'm sorry, charge you based on how much time it took, but 
essentially what you're paying for is the job. That's a kablam. And the last is an uman. An uman is someone who's creating a product for you, much like the photographer that I mentioned, where you're really paying for the product. You're not really paying for the work. You're not really paying for the time. You're just paying for the product. A lot of very typical uh, employment contracts are an uman. For example, a caterer is an uman. You're paying for the food. Does it make a difference to you how much time he spent preparing the food? It's irrelevant. You're just paying for the food. So you're buying a product, but you're buying a product that you asked him to create on your behalf. That's an uman. Uh, if you order anything custom, anything custom made, furniture, etc., all those things, that's an uman. So those are the three kinds of employment. So the next question you have to ask yourself after you've, discussed, you've figured out what was the level of commitment, question number two is, what kind of employment is this? Is this a skiryayim, a kablan, or an uman, a day worker, a contractor, or a craftsman? Number three, and the last question, and this may be at times the most important question, is what is going to be the ramifications of either side reneging on the deal or backing out from terms, changing the terms? Meaning to say, sometimes it's just annoying uh, or it feels dishonest, but at times backing out causes real damage. When a person backs out and an accountant's working for a firm and he wants to quit and they're in the middle of tax season, so now what, right? They're going to be understaffed. They're not going to be able to meet deadlines. You have a person working on a project, and he's the only guy who knows the project. He knows the code. He's a programmer, all these kind of things. He backs out. The whole thing is going to fall through. You, uh, you hire a guy. You promise to hire a guy, and then you don't, and now he loses his other job too. All these things are very, very relevant. What kind of ramifications are, have happened or will happen as a result of backing out on this employment agreement. And this is going to be relevant on every level of commitment, whether it's just words, whether there was a Kenyan, we'll have different halachas, but it's relevant on every level. You cause damage to a person, even if all you did was promise, you are responsible. So those are the three questions. Again, level of commitment, what kind of employment, and what are the ramifications? Those are the three questions, we're going to explain them, we're going to learn them in depth, but really, that's what we're going to be doing here. Just understanding those three questions so that now you know how to approach every single question, just about every single question, of employment halach. So let's begin with the first step. And this, I feel, is very important because people don't re realize how much weight halacha gives to your words. Uh, I guess Dafyami just finished learning Masechtas Nadarm, right? So if you have a little bit of an idea of how much, uh, Im, Im, how much importance the Torah gives to a person's words. But when it comes to Chayshim Mishpah, we don't think so. Now, famously, there is a saying that, right, a verbal contract is not worth the paper it was written on. Famous saying, actually, was said by a Jew. But it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's largely true, meaning to say, as far as enforceability goes, that is true, and that's true as far as the tire is concerned as well. Anything that's verbal, by and large, can't be enforced. But that doesn't mean it doesn't obligate you. So there's, there's really two levels in halacha, actually three, but we'll start with there's two simple levels in halacha where we find that the Gemara discusses verbal obligations. One is called Taraymes, and one is referred to as Mechusar Ammonim. 
Taraimus is the first Mishnah in the sixth parak of Bab That's the address, by the way, for most serious Pilum questions. This is the beginning of Omnim, sixth parak of Bab So the first Mishnah, and the first halacha in Simon Shin Lama Gimel is that one, if an employer tells someone, I have a job for you, or an employee says, I'm happy to work for you, and then they back out. So the, the Gemara Mishnah says, and halacha says, Elam Zel Zel All they have against each other are complaints. Very interesting kind of thing for a Mishnah to say. Meaning to say all they can do is complain and they can't take him to Beisden, they can't make them pay. That's it, they can complain. Rabbi Sral Salantar said that you see from here that you can't have complaints against another Jew unless you're entitled to. You need a Mishnah to give you the right to bear a grudge against another Jew. Some say that it actually entitles you to say Lashon Hara, meaning to say you can't go around just, you know, uh, bashing the guy, but you can try to talk about it in hopes of making the guy change his mind. Okay, so I don't know how far you should go with that. But that's the beginning of this. The first, the first step is Taremis. Now, Taremis means you can have a complaint. Why? Because he's causing you a lot of extra work, meaning you were in a job hunt. Let's talk about it from the employee's, uh, either way, actually, employee or employer's uh, perspective. They're trying to find a job. You're trying to find a guy. So you're looking, looking, and looking. You spent a half a day finding a guy. Spent a day finding a guy. He spent a day looking for a job. And then he finally got this job. Amazing. He went to sleep for the night, confident that he has a job for the next day. Wakes up the next day, gets a phone call. Sorry, not relevant. I can't come. I don't need you anymore. So now he has to start the whole process over again. He may not have given up another job. So there may not be any actual loss. That's why he doesn't have any... Uh, monetary claim here, so there's no, none of that. It didn't start working yet. All there was was a verbal commitment, but by backing out, you now have to start the whole process over again. So it's a lot of work which went to nothing, and that's why he has complaints. You're making me do all that work over again. Now, that being the case, if, for instance, there is no such tircha, nothing like that happens, meaning you say, okay, forget it, I don't need you, and a minute later he gets a phone call, or he already had, you know, he, but in his whole job search yesterday, he, he located, he identified five potential jobs. So as soon as you tell him it's not relevant, okay, he calls the next number on the list and say, sure, come over right away. So there's absolutely no lag. No tircha, no nothing, a little bit of uncomfortable and awkwardness, but that's it. So then you can't, actually can't have tarimus. And the relevance of Taremis is, is both from both angles, which means if the Mishnah says you can have Taremis, that means you should not do it. And you're not really entitled to do it. And you can only do it if you get permission from the other person. Otherwise, the person can have Taremis. How bad is it if another Jew having Taremis? Probably not good. <laughs> uh, if a person has a valid claim against you, I can't tell you what goes on Shemayim, but I can't imagine it's good. But relevant to halachas, you do have an obligation to ask for mechila. You have an obligation to try to appease the person. So you can't really do it. It's not an iser per se, but it's a, not a, it's a wrong thing to do from Ben Adam Lechaveri perspective. And you need to make it up to the person. But it's only if you cause them some kind of damage. And if there was no damage, or he's able to get the other job immediately, or find another employee immediately, so then this won't be relevant. Another uh, aspect is, is that if it's only a question of taraymes, so then, so then um, if there's a good enough reason for you to back out, like there was a big change in your life, uh, you had a baby, you know, <laughs> something serious happened, so then you can't even have tarimus on a person like that. So that's also very important. It's called a taina rabba. You have a very significant reason why you're doing it, 
You can't even have a complaint. So that's the first level. That's the simplest, easiest level to understand how it works. That's Tarems. It gets, it gets more uh, serious with the next level, which is called Mechusar Amana. Mechusar Amana is a whole sugi in Bab It's a simon in Shulchan Aruch as well, simon Reish Dalit. Mechusar Amana, the Gemara learns out of a Pasuk. So this already has the status of a full-blown Isser. We say, When you say yes, you have to be matzdiket. You have to keep to your word. When you say no, you have to keep to your word and not do it. Yes or no. So what, what does this mean? This means that if you promise to do a job or you promise to make a sale, the Gemara is actually talking about a sale, Pais can then apply it to jobs as well. So any really, any kind of deal doesn't make a difference what it is. If you promise to go through with a transaction and you back out, you're over an Isser because you promised to do it. You're called Mechusar Amana. You're untrustworthy. What's so bad about being untrustworthy? So that, that you're actually over a real Isser. And the Sma says that you can be called a Russia. Now, I don't know if this was common practice in those days, but what he says you can do is you can go to shul, and you should go. The rab should go to shul, make an announcement before Kriya Satera. This is the list of this week's Rishon. <laughs> that's apparently, as he says, you do. Um, interesting story. My, my father, Olav Shalom, was a, a Talmud of the Bukhar named after him, who was very well known for his efforts of saving many, many Jews during the war, and he opened the yeshiva after the war, Nitra, where, where my father learned. So he would say this story that during the war years, or maybe right post, right after the war, he was in Yemen for Sukkot, and he he was there. It was right up Yom Kippur, and he wanted to buy an esrog. You know, and they grow esrog in Yemen, so he figured, you know, shouldn't be a problem, right? So he goes over to someone and shul, working on buying esrog. The guy looks at him, esrog, yeah, plenty of time. Next day, two days before Sukkot, one day before Sukkot, nothing going on, no, no esrog. And finally, Arab Sukkot after Shachris. Guy comes into the Bismedrash with two cartons of Estragim. Everybody goes and buys one. So he, was, well, he walked away feeling that they have a zilzul and mitzvahs over here. They don't have a real haracha for Tyra and mitzvahs. They don't care. Arab sukkahs, you go start looking for your asterisk. That's not what kind of, what kind of Yiddish kite is that? That night, first night of Yantiv, uh, the guy goes over to someone and asks him to dab for the Amid. As soon as this guy starts walking up to the Amid, someone runs over to the Rav and says, You can't let this person take the Amid. I saw him telling a lie. So Rav said, really? Do you have anybody else that can testify to this? He said, sure. I called over two witnesses and they testified. The guy said a lie. So Rav said, yeah, he can't have Ramid. I'm not going to give him an aliyah either. And at that point, Rav said, you know what? Maybe they have their priorities straight. <laughs> so the, there are apparently, at least in Yemen, post-war, they still did have this practice of calling out someone who did something which was a Maeserishis. So in any case, it's a bad thing, right? And it's usur, so it's a real isser. It's not just a, a you know, questionable practice of appeasement. It's a real isser. Now, though it's a real isser, it's not a isser that Bezdin enforces, other than they call you a Russia, but they can't force you because it's been benadim l'makam, essentially. You're doing an abera. Hashem says, it's like a nether. You have to keep your nether, right? Bezdin doesn't force you to keep your nether. Now, Chayshu Mishmah Bezdin doesn't force you to keep your nether. Hinch l'chot said it's the same thing. You said you're going to do something, you have to keep it. Hashem wants you to keep it, and your rav maybe will will scream at you, but Bezin doesn't have any power to do anything. But it does have that power, it does have that halacha, it does have that strength. So then when is it that you don't have Hinshul Chatzai? Because me, that's it. As soon as you say something, you're stuck and you can't back out. So first of all, first of all, 
good rule of thumb. And really, this is something Hamachanach, my children, try to at least. And uh, you should be Machanach yours and ourselves. Don't say something unless you're 100% sure you're going to do it. That is the lesson of Hinshel Chotzedek, Ulavshel Chotzedek. Don't say, yeah, I'm going to give you this job if in your mind you know, uh, yeah, well, 90% they're going to give you the job. No, 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 don't, don't say I'm going to give you the job. And say, I'll try to give you this job. Hopefully I'll have the job for you. Maybe I'll have the job for you. Don't promise something unless you're 100% sure you can follow through on it. At least from your perspective. If an Inus happens, it's a different story. Inus is an Inus, a different seminar, Shulchan Aruch. No Inus. If you have any reason to believe in your mind that you're not going to be able to do the job, you're not going to be able to take the job, you're not going to be able to give the guy the job, then do not promise it. That's the halacha of Hinshul Chatzad. But the halacha does have a dispensation. What's the dispensation? It's called treitari. Treitari means two prices, which means if there's a serious price fluctuation between when you took a job or hired someone to when the job needs to commence, then the halacha, the machlekes in Shulchan Aruch, and we're mekel, the halacha of him shulchatzedek does not apply. So that means, if you, let's work with a sale, because this is where it really comes up a lot. You put out your house, this is Shiloh happens like daily in Lakewood, or anywhere where real estate is crazy, which is just about everywhere. So you put up your house, guy put up his house, it happened, my Shiloh, $800,000, he put up his house for sale. The next day he gets his asking price, right? Guy calls him and says, I'll take it, $800,000, sight unseen. Fine. Hey, my asking price. Amazing. Then, a week later, a guy calls him and says, what, 800000 Your house, I'll give you 900000 for it. And then he gets another phone call, 950000 So now what? He committed to the other guy. They didn't sign the contract yet, but they did said it. said, I'm going to give it to you. And he was ready to take it off the market. So Hinshel Chotzedek would typically say, you can't back out now. You're ever never if you back out. Even for $150,000, you can't back out. But... This is trade tariff. The price changed significantly. And when there's a significant change in price, we're mekel. And we say, does not apply anymore. Now, I'm picking this case because it's not so simple, and I want to make this clear as well. The reason why it's not so simple is because the price didn't really change. You just were not aware of the price. You didn't do your homework. You should have done more research before you said yes to find out what's the right asking price or what could you possibly get for it. There was no change in price, there's no inflation. Gas prices didn't go up, right? It's not, a, it's not nothing changed in the world. It's just that you did, weren't aware. So not everybody agrees that this is called trade tariff. But the minute is to be mankled with this. Now, the same thing happens in employment, also all the time. I had this in my, my shul. Um, a, uh, a fellow wanted to hire a contractor to do an extensive renovation, about $100,000 worth of renovations. So he, he, did, he did some homework. He shopped around. He got this guy to come down, and this guy to come down, and that guy to come down. Between the three guys, he liked one guy, and then they had extensive talks. No, no contract, but they worked through all the details, how much it's going to cost, what they're going to do in the kitchen, in the bathroom, in the outside, in the interior, exterior, etc. They worked through it all. Barichus. Still, no contract. Just a lot of time. Then, he was about to sign a contract, and someone tells him, you know, did you ask that contractor, because I used him, and he was significantly cheaper and did great work. So he goes to the other contractor, the guy comes down, and gives him a quote for $20,000 less. Now, I warned him that usually you pay for those kind of, you know, <laughs> they cost money to be cheaper, it's not, it's not free, but he said, no, a lot of people used him, they were happy with his work. 
And it's $20,000 cheaper. He says, now I feel very bad. He spent so much time with the other guy. What's my obligation? So here it's the same kind of thing, right? It's an employment, but it's the same thing. He gave a commitment, a verbal commitment. He did. He promised the guy he's going to give them the job. They had long discussions about it. And now he wants to back out, but it was also because he didn't do sufficient research. He would have asked around more. He would have found out about this guy right away, and he would never give him the job. So nothing changed. Prices didn't change. He just was not aware. So Lamaisa, as I said, you could be Mekel. So I told him he could be Mekel. But I told him the right thing to do is to try to appease the other guy, at least Taraimus, you know, it's, it's uh, after spending so much time, you should try to pay him for his time. Likelihood is the guy's not going to take money, because it's not professional to take money for that kind of thing, but at least you should do your part and offer him some, some kind of remuneration, remuneration for his time, it's the right thing to do. So that's when, those are, that's really the only situation where you can back out after giving your work is where there's a significant change, either in price or in information that you didn't have. Now, the change also doesn't just have to be in price. There's other things which are not money, but they're worth money. Hours, right? Uh, these kind of things, if they're significantly different, so then it's worth money. If you can get paid the same amount of money and only have to work half the time, if there's no commuting, these kind of things are also similar to Trey Tari. There's a significant enough difference that we would consider it a very, very different job, and therefore the halacha of Mechus wouldn't apply. One interesting thing I just want to mention, it's funny because we had a dis- discussion about it, Rabbi Yosef Kushner, who's uh, giving the other shir here, a good friend of mine, we, we had this discussion that, does Hinshel Chatzedek apply when you tell your kid, make your bed, and clean up your room? And he says, yes, mommy, tati, I will clean up my room, I will make my bed. And then they don't. So can you say, this is not just kibbut abeim, this is Hinshel Chatzedek, Chatzedek, you're over on an Isser. I don't know if that tactic in Chinuch works, but assuming it does, uh, so it doesn't, because what, what's important to realize is that Hinshel Chatzedek, Lapshel Chatzedek is a financial halacha. So it's something that you would pay the person for, and they say, I'm going to do it, so then they're working for free, but that, that is something that Hinshel Chatzedek binds you to. But something that nobody pays for, right? You give a guy a, ra- a ride down the block, it's just not something anybody pays for. I mean, you pay, you hire a taxi, but it's, a ride is just understood. It's not something that's a financial thing. So, or cleaning your room or making your bed. Therefore, that wouldn't apply. You wouldn't have the halach of hinshul chatzedek and lapshul chatzedek. Another thing I also want to say is that in certain industries, and this is also important, this really applies throughout Skiris Pilem. In certain industries, there's an industry standard, there's a given, we call it, in Allah, it's called the Minig Medina. Different, not Dina the Malchus Adina, it's a different thing. That's, you know, where the, the law of the land plays a role, which it does too. But Minig, uh, Minig Medina just means the given in an industry, the given in any, in any kind of job, what is the norm, accepted norm. So, for example, you call a taxi, you can cancel the taxi. You, you committed, you hired him, how could you cancel? Because that's the given. That's the understanding. And they know that if they wouldn't give you that option, then you wouldn't call them, right? You're only going to call someone who's going to give you that option that you're able to cancel if you need to. Likewise with sales, right? You're going to only buy something if they give you a return option. You're not over hinshul chatzedek, lapshul chatzedek. So if there's a given in an industry that you can cancel until a certain point at least, so then there's no problem with hinshul chatzedek, lapshul chatzedek. But understand, there's a limited amount of industries that have that. 
if you're not sure if an industry has that, it probably doesn't. <laughs> uh, so, you know, your babysitter doesn't have that, that, that minig medina. Uh, she expects to, 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 if you're offering her a job, she expects that she's going to get the job and you expect her to show up. So that, that's also an important distinction. Okay, so we covered um, Diburim, at least as much as we're going to cover today. Let's talk a little bit about the next kind of commitment, right? We talked about a Diburim commitment. Let's talk about Kinyanim. What kind of Kinyanim are there? So now the king of all Kinyanim, which is the best kind, which everybody should do if they can, is a contract, because a contract leaves no room for doubt. It's written properly, covers all bases, and it is the best method of warding off machlaikis, misunderstandings, feeling cheated. It's the best way to go. If you can write a contract, write a contract. If you're dealing with your best friend, Kalvachoymer, write three contracts, <laughs> if you want to stay friends at least. So there's, it, it, no matter what, if you have some kind of deal with someone, write, put it down in writing. And, and it could be, it doesn't have to be you know, an official thing with a lawyer signed on it. Uh, it could be an email. An email will, will constitute a contract as long as that's understood between the two. Uh, you, you, but, but have it down, write it down, write down the terms, spell it out, and ask for help by other people in the industry or by a rub who's familiar with these halachas or a lawyer, is actually worth it to pay for it. I'm saying just from my perspective, I've dealt small, small fry things, you know, with babysitters, with people running dance classes. If you write the, pro- the, the, the contract correctly, you will forestall so many machlekes and hard feelings uh, you know, disrespect. There's just so many things you'll work out in advance. It'll be everybody will know what they're getting themselves into. It'll be understood, and then that that it's only and the, the the people I helped. It's not because you don't have to know that much. You just have to be aware of what could happen, and then you can all spell it out in the contract. So if you can write a contract, write a contract, and that's the best way to go. And contracts do have to be written properly because if you don't write them properly, they're not binding. Uh, if you try to write it, make a non-compete, nine out of ten times it's going gonna, it's gonna to be not binding, not legally, not halakhically. If you write, you want someone to do something, and if not, you know, you want to uh, penalize him, if you don't know how to write a contract like that, nine out of ten times, it's not going to work. So anything that's a little bit more complicated than just, you're working for me, right? if you want to put some teeth into it, you want to make some kind of an enforcement, you do need to discuss it with the Rav and the lawyer, you know, to, that it should be both halakhically enforceable and legally enforceable, because it's complicated. But that's number one, contract. Now, contract is not the only way to make Kinyanim and Scherz Pilot. Money. Money works, right? Money is always a, a, a valid form of a Kenyan. And when it comes to Skiris Pailim, it's, it's a valid way as well. And then when I say money, in this case, what I'm referring to is a down payment. Okay? Now, a down payment is commonly misunderstood. Uh, and a photographer explained this to me, actually. I'm not sure if this is true everywhere. It could be different in different places. But what he explained to me is that, essentially, a down payment is a payment for a future service. And if that's the way it's described, and that's the way it's understood, even in a contract, then you are not entitled to keep that money, not legally and not halakhically. Because if future service didn't happen, then you're not entitled to keep the money. If you want a down payment to be something that you keep if the person backs out, then it has to be phrased as such, that you're giving the money for the commitment, not for the future job. 
It needs to be phrased such. If it's for the future job, then if the future job doesn't happen, you're not entitled to keep the money. So it's important to realize that distinction when you're making a down payment. Nevertheless, either way, a down payment is a Kenyan. So if there is money to change his hand, that's a Kenyan, and that obligates you. Now, what exactly does it obligate you? Well, that's going to depend a little bit on what kind of uh, work agreement this is. Uh, so I'm going to skip ahead a little bit when we talked about the three kinds, whether you're a schiryayim, you know, a daily worker, or whether you're a kablin, a guy that, a guy that takes a, a contract. The, 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 the first guy, the guy who's working per hour, the Torah gives him the easiest way out. That's if, you know, the, the, if he's Jewish. The Torah says, there are... The Torah says that someone who's working per hour, it's a little bit like slavery, he bought his time, he has the right to back out, no matter what. So that person always has the upper hand. The employer can't, it's a little bit unfair. The employer can't back out, but the employee could. So the employee is able to back out, even if you make a Kenyan, and that's the halacha. That kind of employee who's working an hourly rate uh, can back out a middle. Now, there's still going to be a hint, a chatzedek issue, possibly. So I'm just talking about enforceability here, right? We moved on from Averis to enforceability. But let's say uh, a cablin, which means you hired a law, uh, lawyer, doctor, plumber, electrician, contractor, and money changed hands, you put down money. Uh, guy who's playing music by your wedding, guy who's playing music by your bar mitzvah, all those guys, they're all contractors. So you, paid your, you, you gave money, then actually the shach holds, he can be forced to do the job. He can't say, oh, I'm sorry, I double booked. Oh, I'm sorry, my nephew's having a chasna that night unless it's a real illness, he is obligated. He actually could be forced. Now, who's going to force him? Good question. But halakhically, he can be forced if Vezna had the ability to. And once someone can be forced, there becomes a whole uh, array of things that you can do to force him. You can trick him. There's a lot of different things. This would have to be discussed with a rub. But that's what's important to understand. Once a Kenyan happens, depending on what kind of, uh, what kind of employment it is, you can actually perhaps force the guy in a numerous amount of ways to go through and finish the job. So that's the second kind of Kenyan, very co- most common kind of Kenyan. So the first kind of the common Kenyan is a contract, second is money. Then there's a very interesting one, and that's called a schalas mulacha. This is unique to Skiris Pilem. Someone started working, and started working means he just left, he drove to the, to the job site. That's already called starting working. And that's also a Kenyan. Now, this Kenyan, you could back out from, but you, 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 there is the consequences to backing out. Again, it's, what's important is that it's a Kenyan. And it therefore obligates you to pay at that point. But let me give you an example, a very common example just happened to my Chavrusa. You call a plumber down. He needed a, I think it was a plumber. His dishwasher was a technician. His dishwasher wasn't working, right? He calls the guy down. The guy comes down, takes one look at the thing, and he says, no, no, this can't be fixed. He spent mamish less than five minutes. Fine. Then he bills him $180. Okay? So $180 is a lot of money for a service call. Uh, so they said, we're here less than five minutes. What's the $180 for? He says, well, look, I drove here. I came here, and it's $180. So what he did was maybe even more than Haskalas Malacha, maybe he did his whole Malacha according to his understanding. But the concept of a service call fee, that concept, right, that the guy comes down and you have to pay him simply for coming down. It happened once to me. My air conditioner wasn't working. And it turned out there was this hidden little switch on the condenser that I wasn't aware of. And by the time the guy came down, okay, I figured out, switched it out, right? So I don't need him anymore. He charged me a service fee. You have to pay that service fee. You have to pay that service fee because he did Haskalas Malacha. 
Once he did as Chalas Mulachi, he came to your, your, your place. He drove to your place. You become obligated. You become obligated to pay. The obligation is the service fee. He does more work, you pay more. If he loses out work because of you, you then are obligated to pay what he lost out on. And there's a certain, you know, there's a certain formula for it. Again, you know, industry standard will make a difference here. But this halacha is a very, very relevant halacha. You, you get a guy to come down, he already has started work. And that has important ramifications in halacha as well. Speak up. He does not have to disclose that in advance. Uh, if he would have disclosed that in advance, it would have probably helped so that there's no misunderstanding and then hard feelings, which is exactly what happened in this case. There was hard feelings. They're certainly never going to use that guy again, and they're not going to recommend him, and so on and so forth. But no, the Chavetz Chaim, it's interesting you mentioned that the Chavetz Chaim says, in terms of employment, in the Chavetz Chaim, you know, has... He has uh, Avas Chesed, and in Avas Chesed, he talks about a lot of halachas of employment as well. And he just keeps on reiterating, make sure you speak out all the terms before you start, because if you try to discuss them after you start, you're going to have a machoikis, and someone is going to end up stealing from someone else, right? Either you're not going to pay, or, and, and, and you really have to pay, or you're going to pay, and you really don't have to pay. Someone is going to end up stealing. So very important, try as best as you can to speak out everything before, before you do it. I, I had a friend of mine, Chavrusa, when I learned in L.A., so he was telling me that when he was a younger man, a young guy in uh, Eretz Yisrael, so he, he was about to rent a new dira. Um, and the dira he was renting was from one of the people who was the Enkel of the Chafetz Chaim. So he went and he got a chose. You go down to one of these stationary stores and you get a boiled plate chose. He comes there with it, all prepared. And the guy, the, the, the person renting, who was this Enkel of the Chafetz Chaim, says, no, 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 I don't use that. He takes out his own uh, contract. And oh my gosh, everything was spelled out there. Rachel Bitcha Haktana too, from soups to nuts. Everything. There was like 20 you know, points in the contract. So he looked at him and he says, you know, we're yeshiva lights. I'm an honest guy, you and I were both learning in yeshiva, why, who needs all this? And he said, listen, this is one thing the Chafetz Chaim was very, very makbid on. Spell everything out. And I can't tell you, when that's done, you don't have any idea how much heartbreak you save yourself if you speak everything out in advance. It can be. It can be independent. And, but the problem is, uh, industry standard is a term that the person who's losing the entire always throws out. Meaning to say, it's, it tends to be subjective. It, sometimes there is an industry standard that's clear. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, the question was, uh, is, shouldn't that be something that depends on industry standard? In other words, how much you have to speak out in advance? And the answer is that, yes, it can depend on industry standard. The problem is that industry standard itself tends to be very subjective. And it tends to be a very strong topic of debate in a dintaira itself. So that itself is something which, again, if you speak it out in advance, you will benefit. Okay, we're running out of time. I just want to touch on the last point, which is um, Adabra Abed, which is, we just mentioned it before, and that is, what are the ramifications of backing out on a deal? And it depends on what kind of damage you're causing the other person. And there are two kinds of damages. There's financial damage, and then there's also not financial damage, but that damage of value, okay? So the first case, financial damage would be you cause a guy to lose his job. For example, 
uh, a guy, you call up a guy, Chaim, he's an accountant, lawyer, I don't know, and you say, you know, I have a much better job for you. Come work for my firm, start in January, and I have a great job. I can offer you $100,000 more, better hours, better pay, everything. This is great, excellent, I'd love to work for your firm, but I'm going to go tell my employer that I'm going to quit. You know, I'm an honest guy, I'm going to give him two months' notice. Fine, tells his employer. They're sad to see him go, but they replace him. Two months later, January, he gets a call a month, uh, a week before. His other guy says, I'm sorry, I really thought I had this job for you, and then it fell through. Now he's stuck without a job. Doesn't have his old job, doesn't have his new job. You, you backed out and caused significant damage. You actually have to pay this guy's what you promised him. You have to pay his salary. Now, you can deduct a certain amount, a formula, depending on how much, you know, He's not working, Lemaister, right? So it has some kind of value, the fact he's not working, but you actually are obligated to pay. Okay? Now, then there's a damage, there is a loss of value. Like, you hire a caterer for, um, for your simcha, right? He's supposed to cater your chasana. A month before a chasana, he calls you up and he says, sorry, I can't do it. I have this problem, this commitment, this person I have to do it for, whatever. Is he allowed to do that? No. Is he causing the financial loss? Maybe, maybe not. You know, so he won't make a chasna, right? That's not necessarily a financial loss. It's a loss of value. Or let's say you won't have music. So you won't have music by a chasna. So you can have a chasna without music, right? They used to have chasnas Friday night. But that's a tremendous loss of value in your chasna. That's also called the double of it. There also you can't back out. And you can't back out even if it's only a verbal commitment. You can't back out. And the halacha over there also gives you an array of things you can do to force the other person to go through with it. Even if you can't force him in Bezdin, you can trick him. You can hire someone else and make him pay the difference. There's a number of different things that can be done. So, a little bit of a katzer, but let me re- uh, summarize what we've talked about so that, again, like I said, knowing going forward, you know what to ask yourself when you have this question. The first question you have to ask yourself is what's the level of, of commitment? And we've discussed there's a level of commitment called diburim, right? Even just verbally, there's tarumas, then there's hinsedek and lashul chatzedek. Very important, verbal commitments carry teeth, carry weight. And that's one level of commitment. Then there's commitments in Kinyanim. There's contracts. There's money. There's Aschalat Mulacha starting to work. All these are different ways and different levels of a commitment that you are obligated, obligates you to work and obligates you to you or to, to, to pay someone to work to keep your side of the transaction. Second question you have to ask yourself is what kind of employee is this? Is it a Schir Yaim who has a, who's allowed to quit? Is it a Kablan, a contractor who's not allowed to quit? Is it a Uman who's creating a product? for you. We didn't get to talk about that too much. But again, those are all three different kinds and you have to discern this, uh, and figure out which one is it. And lastly, what are the ramifications now that you are backing out of the deal? What kind of damage are you causing your employer? What kind of damage is the employee being caused? Did he lose a job? Is there a loss of value? And that's a double of it and that in, as well makes a tremendous difference. And if you have these three questions, you will be able to know how to approach every Shiloh of employment law. Thank you very much. Thank you.